Hello and welcome back to another episode of the DFS Today podcast and The Advantage. I am your host, Michael Fiddle. Today is Tuesday, September 27th, which means we are discussing spend up options on the upcoming week four DFS slate. Of course, since it is a Tuesday episode of the show, a few other topics we need to hit. We will be doing a quick week three recap our weekly Tuesday gambling lesson, a week four look ahead, and then we'll hit the DFS slate and discuss everyone priced over 7K or the top five players at each position if we don't have five guys above that number. A few reminders before we get started. First, follow me on Twitter at mfiddle14. Second, wherever you are listening to this pod, Please, please, please drop a written review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Again, wherever you're listening, this is a small-time podcast. I've been handicapping sports for a decade, but this is the first time I've created content around it. So I would love for more ratings and reviews to help me grow this channel a little bit. So if you feel like I've helped you, take two minutes and help me out too. Third, and finally, if you play season-long fantasy basketball, pause this pod right now, go to sportsethos.com, and go check out the Brewski 150 rankings coming out very soon. I keep saying it. I'll continue all week. Brew is the best in the business for NBA ranks. If you want the best rankings and a way not to have the same rankings as everyone else in your league, Go get brews and prepare for, I'd say, at least a top three finish in your league. Okay, week three recap. Let's get it going. I went nine and seven in my gambling. However, I hit most of my bigger bets and lost the smaller ones. It was a great week in terms of unit distribution for my preferred plays, and I ended up being positive 3.57 units. Normally, when you go nine and seven, you end up somewhere between plus one and two units. So to end up plus three and a half was a great sign. This week also featured the worst bad beat that I've had all season and also my best and luckiest win I've had too. So I will quickly explain those as I do this recap. The bad beat came from the under in the Titans Raiders game. I had under 45.5 and on the final drive of the game, down eight, the Raiders convert a few massive fourth and longs to a guy named Mac Hollins with ridiculous catches, and it ends up causing them to score a touchdown but not get the two-point conversion, so they end up losing the game, but the total ends at 46, just half a point above my total because of, again, absolutely bonkers plays by Mac Hollins on numerous different fourth downs on the same drive. If the Titans had gotten just one stop I would have been plus five units on the week, and that was my worst bad beat I've had all season. The best win, and I'm going to explain this a little thoroughly because it has some gambling logic to it, was the total of the Vikings-Lions game. By the time this podcast came out last week, so nearly a week before the actual game was played, I had already bet Lions-Vikings over 50.5. That line moved sharply up to 52.5 and even 53.5 at certain spots. I talked all week. If you listened to this pod last week, you you heard me say this. I talked all week. 
because of the high total and the indicator of the line moving up, it was a great spot to play into DFS. I ended up putting Irv Smith Jr. and Justin Jefferson into my core four lineup last week. However, by Sunday morning, I thought this might be a slight overreaction in the terms of the line movement. I liked my over 50.5 ticket. I liked having these guys in my lineup. I expected a lot of scoring, but I also knew 51 and 52 were key NFL total numbers and having the under 52.5 presented real opportunity. With an existing over 50.5, I put an under 52.5 as well. Both were 1.1 units to win one on a standard minus 110 line. Now, let me explain why I did this. First off, I just liked both bets. I felt the line in both spots contained value because of the key numbers they were circling. Furthermore, I knew I was taking a big win when it comes to implied probability. The term implied probability in betting refers to the percent win rate you need to win on a given bet to be profitable at those given odds. For a minus 110 bet, it means winning 52.4% of the time to be a profitable sports gambler. Implied probability does not mean the chance you have to win. It means how often do you need to win if you were to bet at these odds every time to be a profitable sports gambler. Okay. Going into this Lions-Vikings game, I knew the following information. NFL games end in a total score of 51 or 52 approximately 3.8% of the time for each number. That makes having 51 or 52, my two middle numbers, a 7.6% chance of happening. If 51 has a 3.8 and 52 has a 3.8, 51 or 52 has a combined 7.6, simply add those numbers together. However, we need to add in another caveat, and that is this game's total was priced at these numbers, and that 7.6% likelihood I just gave you refers to all NFL games, even the ones where the total is 42 and 44 and 48 and 38 like it was in last night's uh, Cowboys-Giants Monday night football game. When a game is priced at 52 or 50 or 51, like this game was, it has a plus 4% increased likelihood to land where the line is. So now I take that 7.6% and I add another 4% and I find myself with an 11.6% chance to win the bet that the Lions-Vikings game would finish at 51 or 52 in my middle zone. When I put the bet in, 1.1 units to win one on over 50.5, 1.1 units to win under 52.5, I am guaranteed to win at least one of those. So the breakdown becomes a max loss of one-tenth of a unit and a max win of two full units if this score lands in the middle. That is a 20x on my bet loss to payout ratio. You can lose one-tenth of a unit or gain two units. You have a 20x ratio. That carries 
an implied probability of 5%, right? Because if I win 5% of my bets and they all carry a 20x ratio, I break even. So 5% implied probability on my bet, but an 11.6% chance of it actually happening. A 6.6% increase in implied probability on my bet. That is a huge number in gambling, and that is why I opened the middle. I liked the numbers. I saw value in both lines. I got ahead of the line movement with a plus CLV ticket. Last week's gambling discussion was about CLV. And I put myself in a really good spot. Furthermore, I said this was my best win of the season. I ended up getting pretty lucky and hitting the middle. And that game ended at 52. Not only did it hit 52, but the Vikings kicker missed two field goals during the game where it would have easily flown over. And it was insane to land where it did. And I took home a small pot of gold. To recap the DFS side for week three, another week where a player in every single lineup of mine got hurt in the first quarter, and then I'm dead, sight on scene. David Montgomery went down in the first, ended up with one point, and then his backup came in, Khalil Herbert, and ended up being the number one running back in all of Fantasy Sunday. I mean, come on. Monty was clearly a good choice if he had continued to get the volume and the carries that simply went to his backup after he got hurt. On top of that, the rest of the core did not do too great. Justin Jefferson was atrocious. I mean, like 4.4 points from Justin Jefferson, just not going to do it. Diggs did not pop off, even though the Bills had 400 yards. Irv Smith did not do great either. Overall, it was just not a good showing. I look back and I pinpointed all the right games, but I had all the wrong players. Either way, still a net positive week for me with a great betting front to cover all of the DFS losses, and we move on to week four. Okay, topic number two is today's Tuesday gambling lesson. I kind of just gave you guys a semi-lesson on implied probability what it means, and a little behind the curtains on how I use it. However, today I want to talk about what I believe is the most important factor when it comes to handicapping the 2022-23 NFL season. And I specifically want to talk about it because it's week four, and now is when it starts to matter. If you listen to any of my off-season podcasts, when the NFL schedule was released, I did a pretty comprehensive breakdown of the schedule. And my biggest takeaway was the change in rest advantage and rest disadvantage situations this year compared to previous ones. What is rest advantage and rest disadvantage? It's pretty simple, but I will define it anyways. In the NFL, rest advantage refers to one team coming into a game with more rest time than their opponent. Rest disadvantage is the opposite. This team is on a shorter week. For example, the Browns are a bet of mine for week four. They played week three on the Thursday night game, so they have 10 days before week four, whereas their opponent, the Falcons, have just seven days going from Sunday to Sunday. So the Browns have a rest advantage and the Falcons have a rest disadvantage going into that week four matchup. 
I noticed this year there were 95 games where there was a rest advantage situation. That number increased from a previous five-season high of 64. This marks a nearly 50% increase in these types of games. To invoke some Brian Windhorst, why would that happen, I ask rhetorically. Well, welcome to MFL on Amazon Prime and the streaming age. There has been a clear directive from the NFL to push for primetime games to feature primetime matchups this season. Just look at the schedule we've had so far. We've had loaded slates of storyline football, and it is not a random occurrence. This is intentional to make the games more desirable, to drum up ratings. This is the last year DirecTV has the NFL Sunday ticket package, and next year the NFL is going to be looking to resell game package rights. They want the ratings to be higher, so they cost more, so the streamers like Apple come in and offer more billions to the NFL for their game rights. It's actually blatantly obvious, and I'm not some criminal mastermind to figure this out. It's been written about a lot and noted publicly by many people. I'm just using it to gamble. In previous years, the NFL schedule makers would try and really minimize rest advantage situations because the stats shows it bears a real impact on the game. This year, it's throw it to the wind, 50% in increase in those games as long as the matchups are good. This also means more travel for these better matchups. So often teams playing in an already rest disadvantaged spot are also playing with harder travel. This is definitely something to bet into. And in previous years, now I'm ranting a little bit, when a team would have a rest advantage situation, they'd find themselves at a disadvantage later. It would more or less even out, and you'd maybe end the season with a plus one or minus one ratio here and there. Not this year. People call Dallas Cowboys America's team, right? You guys think it's random that the Dallas Cowboys have six rest advantage games and only one rest disadvantage? The New York Jets, second fiddle in the Big Apple, right? Maybe even third because the Bills are a New York team as well. And in the same division as the Jets. The Jets are minus four in these games and play four games where they face a team coming off their mini-buy, the 10-day rest from a previous week's Thursday night game. And stats show that Thursday to the following Sunday, mini-buy is actually the most advantageous spot for a team because they get extra rest and prep and time while not having enough time, not having a full bye week to go away with their families and travel and whatever. So during the mini-buy, like what the Browns have and the Steelers have this week, players stay around the facility, they get extra treatments, they study film just a little bit harder, and they come into the next week strapped and ready to go. So this season, the NFL is emphasizing matchups and throwing rest to the side. That means I am emphasizing rest and in even some spots throwing matchups to the side. I talk about this in week four because now we have reached a point where it is the first month of the NFL season, 10 weeks since these players first got to training camp, and the wear and tear is going to start to begin, and the rest advantages and disadvantages are going to start to show. 
So moving forward, every week I will break down who has a rest plus situation and who has a rest minus game upcoming. It must be accounted for when it comes to both betting and DFS. In week four, the rest advantage teams are the Browns, Steelers, Chicago Bears, and Washington Commanders, where the rest disadvantage teams are the Falcons, Jets, Giants, and Cowboys. It is not going to be a perfect formula, but I can almost promise you this will hit above the 52.4% threshold needed to be profitable. Do not bet them blindly, but definitely consider it in your handicapping process. Okay. So that concludes this week's gambling lesson. And the summary would be pay attention to last week's schedule in determining your bets for this week. Okay, topic number three is a week four look ahead and giving you guys my early bets. And we will start this conversation off by piggybacking off the rest advantage situations. The Browns are about to come off their mini buy. They played Thursday week three against the Steelers, and now they have 10 days rest until they play in Atlanta against the Falcons in week four. They are currently priced around a minus 1.5 or a minus 2.5. I like it wherever you can get this number at minus three or less. I love the Browns this week. Not only do they have a great rest spot, but the Falcons just played back-to-back weeks on the West Coast. They played the Rams in LA and then the Seahawks in Seattle. They ended up staying at the University of Washington between weeks and didn't travel home. When this happens, we see that team play really well on the second week on the road Because they have very little distractions, they're just going to practice, watching their film study, and going back to their rooms on the road. So we see them do really well, second week on the road, and then when they come home, they get clobbered. Because they are reintegrating into their home life, their family life, after two weeks of being gone, which actually pulls them away, and they end up being less prepared. So the Falcons won in week three, they looked great. We hope the public thinks, wow, this Falcons team might be a little bit friskier than we expected, and now they're going home for another good spot. No, the spot is really bad for them. This is a clear opportunity to bet on the Browns coming off their mini-buy, playing against the over-traveled Falcons. Clear bet spot on the Browns. The second bet that I'm on is Lions minus 5.5. Lions are actually a good team because of how well they play in the trenches on the offensive and defensive line. At home against the Seahawks, Lions minus 5.5 is a good bet. I already beat CLV and I think it's at six at most places. I'd still play it at six because you get the push on the key number, but not at 6.5. So get it now. Hopefully you still have it at 5.5 at your book, but maybe it's at six and I would still play that. Bengals minus three for Thursday night. Major, major sharp action on the Bengals. This line opened at minus one in some places, and it's now at minus 3.5. Going against the undefeated Dolphins, but the Dolphins just had such a hard-fought game in horrible heat and humidity, and now travel short week against the must-win Bengals. This is a terrible spot for Miami. If you see that line at 3.5, it's not great because you don't get the hook on the key number of three. In that spot, I would take the money line and not the points and go Bengals. If you see this line at anything less than that, if you get the minus three, if you could still get less than minus three, jump in on the points. 
If you're getting above it and you're getting the three and a half, just take the money line. The fourth bet I'm on is Saints plus two and a half. We know the Vikings, their opponent, does not travel well. The Vikings dominate at home and end up doing poorly on the road. And this game is being played in London with a rookie head coach for the Vikings. The Saints head coach, it is his first year as the head coach of the Saints, but he had previously been a head coach in other places and has been the defensive coordinator of that team for a while. The Vikings head coach is a fresh face this season. So there's more familiarity within the Saints. And when you travel to London and the schedule is really inconsistent, you want the team with more consistency. We also know Dalvin dislocated his shoulder. We'll see if he plays. We'll see if he travels. I'm taking the plus points. Games in London are ugly, and I like the Saints here. Fifth bet is 49ers minus two. This is a play in which I am following the Sharps. The Sharps are hammering the 49ers. I need to do some digging in as to why, but I saw the trends and I jumped in knowing I could sell off this ticket at positive or equal value because the betting experts really don't like the Rams this year much at all and they still value the 49ers. So this is something I've been noticing and I'm going to take that into account moving forward. And on this game, I'm backing the 49ers. Finally, last bet I have so far early in the week is Cowboys Commanders over 42. Cowboys have a great defense, but they're going to be a rest disadvantaged team, which should affect their defense. On offense, both Wentz and Cooper Rush are actually more competent than the public narrative about them. So maybe we get some scoring here. We have sharp action on the over, and I will follow that and take the over 42 in the Cowboys Commanders game. Okay, topic number four, what you guys are here for, the DFS talk about the Sunday slate and everyone priced above 7K or the top five in their position. We are discussing the spend up options for week four. There are five quarterbacks priced over $7,000. They are Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Jalen Hurts, Kyler Murray, and Justin Herbert. Josh Allen plays against Lamar. It's Bills versus Ravens. This game opened at a total of 54. It's been bet down to 51. So expecting an under and less scoring, but still a game with one of the most high totals on the board. You can't say anything bad about Josh Allen or Lamar Jackson in a game where the total is north of 50. If you guys want to make any of these guys your quarterback, it is certainly a good choice. Coming in third is Jalen Hurts. Hurts, another great spot for him this week. Probably my favorite choice right now on the board. I just want to like timeline us back a few weeks to pre-week one when I said Jalen Hurts would be a top three option every week at quarterback, and I fucking nailed the Jalen Hurts call. I have him and A.J. Brown in my fantasy leagues with all the other sports ethos podcasters. I'm in first place. If those standings were a building, they would call me Fiddler on the Roof. Anyways, Hurts game. Eagles-Jaguars, the total is moving north, which I really like. It opened at 47.5. It's now at 48.5. That is a great sign. 48 is a key number. So crossing that threshold means more than a jump from 46.5 to 47.5. We are expecting scoring in this Eagles-Jaguars game. That means I like Jalen Hurts. He is so solid in fantasy. Kyler, I'm out on that Arizona situation right now. Just looks ugly. 
Not going to play Kyler until they seem to right the ship a little bit. Herbert. I really like Herbert. He puts up monster numbers. He should get Keenan back. Potential get-right spot against the Texans. I'm a little worried about who ends up playing for the Chargers defense and if they can stop the run and keep Justin on the field. I do like Herbert at 7,100 a lot, though. Let's move on to running backs. Eight names. JT, CMC, King Henry, Saquon, Chubby Chubb, Eckler, Aaron Jones, and the Swiffer Sweeper, DeAndre Swift. Jonathan Taylor. I don't think I'm going to go him this week in a divisional game against another run-heavy team. Colts play the Titans. I'd rather have Derrick Henry from that game. CMC. Sure. He got 25-plus touches last week. I think 25 carries and a few catches. If he gets that volume again and finds the end zone, he's great. Arizona defense is so bad. We have a major sharp action on the Panthers in this game. I like CMC. He might be a guy this week for me. Derrick Henry. Yup. King Henry is an option. Five catches last week, 130 plus yards, a TD. Like I just said, if I'm choosing someone from that Colts-Titans game, I'd rather have Henry than JT. Saquon. Now his volume is where it should be. We were riding this Saquon train for the first two weeks when it was not above 7,500. Remember week one when Saquon cost less than Alexander Madison? Like, what the hell was that? So now we have Quan versus one of the worst teams in the NFL, Chicago Bears. I'm absolutely interested. Be advised, though, rest disadvantage for the Giants. It is a one-day rest disadvantage because they played on the Monday night. It is a young superstar athlete in Saquon, so I don't think it impacts him too much and it won't scare me off him. I do still like Saquon this week. Chubby Chubb. I love the Browns this week. Definitely betting on the Browns this week. But in DraftKings, it's full PPR. And Mr. Chubb does not catch. So I don't really ever play him. Because you're very reliant on a touchdown. Again, he often delivers those touchdowns. But it's not my favorite spot. Austin Eckler. The question becomes, when have we gone too far in the fade Eckler train? I'm not really sure the answer to that. But having Eckler cost less than Chubb by week four in a full PPR, like I really, really wouldn't have expected that. And I'm not really too sure if that's the right price point. Could Eckler get 18 touches, two touchdowns this week, and like seven or eight catches? Easily. Easily against the Texans. Am I ready to go for it? I'm not really sure. I'm going to let this one marinate, and I'm going to come back to Eckler later in the week on this pod. The Chargers this year, man. Really confusing me. Aaron Jones. Nope. I never do it because of A.J. Dillon, and you just never know. It might be an Aaron Jones week. I think it is an Aaron Jones week. I'm hoping it's an Aaron Jones week because I'm playing against A.J. Dillon in my season-long fantasy league. But you just never know which hot hand is going to be the guy for the Packers that day. And if it's A.J. Dillon... He simply keeps Aaron Jones off the field and limits his upside. So I am not spending up for a guy who might be kept off the field if another guy on the team who they really like is just playing well that week. DeAndre Swift, Swiffer Sweeper. Uh, He's likely hurt and inactive, so just no. But Jamal Williams, though. We will talk about that on Thursday for sure. A lot of running backs, actually, to discuss on Thursday. Jamal, Khalil Herbert... Damian Pierce, Brees Hall, Ramondre, Rashad Penny. 
Just to name a few, Thursday episode might be very running back heavy. Let's move on to wide receivers. We have seven wide receivers priced over 6K. Diggs, Devontae, Amon Ra is ranked third. Wow, good for him. Diggs, Devontae, Amon Ra, A.J. Brown, Pitty Pitt, Michael Pittman, and Mike Williams. The wide receiver conversation is usually an easy one because if you have a star quarterback with a potential star stack wide receiver, then your choice is just obvious. If you go with Josh Allen, you go with Diggs. Otherwise, you probably skip Diggs. Uh, Devontae Adams, not this week against Patrick Sertain in Denver. Bad matchup with a corner who is emerging as one of the best shutdown corners in the league. Don't do it. He had DK Metcalf in week one, held him to like 35 yards. He got injured in week two. He's going to be playing. He's going to be back. Don't go with Devontae just because the matchup isn't great. Amon Ra against Seattle, and I'm already on the Lions in terms of bets. Sure, no problem with it whatsoever. As long as he's healthy, because I think he got pulled, like he tweaked his ankle or something on a route. He ended up finishing the rest of the game, but he missed a few snaps. Let's see if that ankle swells up and causes him trouble and if he misses some practice. If he's missing practice, he's not a guy I like to pay into. I often do this show on Tuesdays because we know we want to spend money on healthy players. So if he's banged up, I wouldn't go with him. But if he's practicing all week, absolutely love an Amon Ra. He's like an absolute beast this year. A.J. Brown. I previously just said Jalen Hurts is probably my favorite quarterback of the week, which means, yes, if I'm playing Jalen Hurts, A.J. Brown will be part of the core as well. Michael Pittman, not versus Tennessee in a divisional game with two run-heavy teams and two all-star running backs going against each other. Jonathan Taylor might get 25 touches. Derrick Henry will get 25 touches. 50 touches between the running backs does not offer many opportunities for a high-priced wide receiver to go off. The clock is going to be ticking. It'll probably be an under game. The line has already ticked down a few points out on Pittman for this game. I think he is overpriced. I was very surprised to see him up there, and I will be avoiding Michael Pitt. Mike Williams. Yes, possible core with Justin Herbert stack. If I play Herbert, I'm probably playing Williams. I will not play Keenan Allen on his first week back from a hamstring injury. I would much rather go with Mike Williams. Mike Williams is also the end zone target guy, and that's where the stack really pops off when you get a big touchdown play. So yes, if I play Herbert, I play Mike Williams. If I'm not playing Herbert, I probably don't play Mike, play Mike Williams because that means I'm playing Hurts and paying up for A.J. Brown. All right, wide receiver. Like usual, that was pretty easy. For tight end, Mark Andrews is the only one over 7K, and we saw last week as to why that is. This guy is a monster. He had two humongous touchdowns against the Patriots, and now he plays a game versus Buffalo that should be high-scoring, and the Bills are potentially down at safety. So, sure, I absolutely love Andrews, especially on a Lamar stack at 7,100. Mark Andrews is a guy I like a lot. Darren Waller, no. Go look up the Darren Waller highlights from last week. This man just straight dropped three touchdowns. I'm scared Waller might have the yips. He got absolutely clobbered on one of them and then dropped the next ball because he was clearly scared of the oncoming hit which honestly came anyways, and I legit felt bad and was like, ouch, watching that play. 
Kyle Pitts. I don't love it because it's a bad spot for Atlanta versus the Browns this week. That's really all I can say about it. Zach Ertz, maybe. Depends how much you like or dislike Kyler right now. Ertz usage is still elite without Hopkins, and he's like a red zone hog. So if you have faith that Kyler can keep this ball moving, then sure. But Cardinals look really, really bad, and there's heavy action on the Panthers in this game. Panthers defense is actually above average. I don't know if I love Ertz. It's kind of a maybe situation for me. Dallas Goddard, sure. Especially if it's with a Hertz stack. If you go Hertz, Goddard, and A.J. Brown, I'm not opposed to all three of them. Again, game is moving north in the total. It's priced at 48.5. It's a high total comparative to other games. It's a rushing QB who throws a lot. Goddard is a red zone hog. If you want to play Goddard, if you want to play A.J. Brown, if you want to play Hertz, I ain't mad at you. All right. That's the top five in every position for position players. Check back on Thursday for value options and an updating betting card information. Follow me on Twitter at mfiddle14. And again, please, please, please drop a written podcast review on whatever platform you are listening to. All right. As always, peace out.